Welcome to the Intuition Conversations. My name is Megan Field. I'm an intersectional social justice activist, an intuitive embodiment facilitator, a Koya teacher, a licensed practical magic coach, and an Irish Celtic Moon Manav practitioner. I'm a Gemini polymath with an insatiable passion for learning, empowerment, and connecting people to others and most importantly to themselves. Each week, I will be exploring topics around intuition, how to connect with and trust your internal GPS, that inner compass, which is the sacred container of all your innate wisdom and power. This podcast is an opportunity to pool knowledge from a wide range of amazing people and practitioners and bring together a worldwide community of intuitive souls. I'm so excited to share the wisdom in today's episode with you. So let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Intuition Conversations. I am here with Claire Gaon, who is coming to us from France, as I'm coming to you all from England. I've met Claire, I think, a few times now, and we know each other through our strong connections to the Koya community. But I want to tell you a bit about Claire and the amazing and wonderful work she brings to the world. So Claire was, I think, the first Koya teacher in France and is the um, sort of the founder and the community leader of the growing movement of Koya teachers in France. She's a co-founder of Les Bouchers, which is a, a place for sacred activism and online community. She's also a fellow podcaster, and I won't, my French is not excellent, but uh, Prêtresse en Short is the name of her podcast, which is basically like Priestess and Jean Shorts, which I love, and Short Shorts, which I love the combination of. She is the author of Wise, Wild, and Free, which is translated from the French, which is a book all about her experience of Koya and um, in Koya generally. And honestly, what don't you do, Claire? You are um, a beautiful space holder and a wonderful soul. And um, I've been really lucky to be in your energy. And I'm so grateful to have you on the podcast today. So welcome, welcome, welcome to the Intuition Conversations. And we'd love to hear more about you and your work and your offerings and how you're showing up in the world at the moment. Mm, Oh, thank you for having me, Megan. And I'm very excited to have this conversation together. And it's I don't know, there's something special in my in my heart happening right now. And like people are just hearing us, but I'm seeing you, so I, I wish they could be like in the in the space right now. <laughs> and so I'm just gonna start a little before what I'm doing right now because I think like uh, the path that I took is as like you know. Uh, some explanation of why I'm doing what I'm doing right now. And so at first I started as a social worker. So I've been working as a social worker for about 10 years and I've been working mostly in mental health with uh, adult. And that was a part for me that was, you know, really something I chose because it was deep in my heart. And I have no doubt that it was like, you know, my mission at that time. And after a while, like I was feeling that it was, you know, it was very tough, uh, tough work. And like, I was not always um, feeling my best self in it. I knew I was good enough, like compared to what I was to, supposed to do, but I was, I would come back home, like crying many nights a week. And I was feeling that this work was, you know, really going against my own wellness. So at some point in my life, I had a major shift. And like many people, I had like this big event where I faced, faced my own death. I was in a in the earthquake in Nepal in 2015. And so this event like kind of gave me an urge to follow my heart and to follow my intuition, actually talking about intuition. So that's where it leads. And so I, I managed to go out of this event because I actually followed my intuition and because I actually 
uh, you know, quit following like the path that I was supposed to have in my in my mind that day when I traveled. And after that, I was so lost, you know, I was so confused with like uh, having been so close to to uh, death and like uh, having seen so many people on that, that like on the inside, I was completely devastated. And because I've been working in psychiatry for years, I knew what was happening. I knew I was dissociated. I knew that, you know, I had to bring major, major change and I had to face like a renewal of my of my own, uh, you know, inner ground. And so that year I decided that like, you know, I've been living, I thought like I've been living on, with my mind for 30 years and it brought me to this place where I have everything that I want. Like I have a secure job, I have a boyfriend, I have a beautiful apartment in Paris. And on the inside, I'm still feeling that I'm not satisfied at all. And a few weeks before the earthquake, like I made this prayer that like my life has to change that year in 2015. And so I guess yeah, the earthquake have been like <laughs> disguised and answered to that prayer. And so... After the event happened, I took the, the, the decision to follow my intuition. I was just like, I'm going to give myself three years. And like, instead of following my mind, I'm just going to follow my intuition. And in three years, I will be able to decide which of uh, both I want or like what proportion of my mind and what proportion of my intuition I want to follow. Uh, so I gave myself these three years of just following my intuition. So the, the, the idea was like, each time I'm feeling something, I'm just going to go for it, no matter how much it costs, no matter like... It costs in terms of like money, relationship, fears, uh, you know, fatigue or whatever, because like cost and energy are like taking a lot of different uh, shape. And so that's what I did. And that's how I found Koya. And like one of the way I actually got to receive a lot of new information of, on how life could be lived was going through Burning Man that same year as the earthquake happened. So I went because a friend of mine told me like, oh, you should go. You would really love that. And like the truth is like, I'm not someone who is going to festival or anything because I'm like very much, I would describe myself as an introvert, which is only partially true. <laughs> but like, at least I know this, is, this can be very intense for me to follow like a collective of people to be like in a set of rules. And I'm always afraid that like, I won't be able to respect my reason. I won't be able to really meet my needs if I'm like taken into the wave of a collective. So I never go to festival and like, I wasn't having a lot of money because of being a social worker and I didn't not really wanted to go to Burning Man, but I felt I had to go there. Like my body was like, oh yes, I'm going to do that. And my mind was just like, no way. <laughs> but because I took this commitment of following my, my intuition I was just like well okay if you find me a ticket I will go and so that's what I did so I went to Burning Man and I was like going like kind of like I'm going to check that box but like almost as a way to prove myself that my intuition was wrong <laughs> so that's that may sound really silly but like that's what that was really an experiment with myself and so I went and at, at the exact moment where I was devastated and my own world I've been like my inner world and my external world was not making sense. Nothing was making sense again. Like I was going through an earthquake, like on the inside, like Burning Man gave me a lot of options of how I could decide to live life and to, you know, envision life and to create new realities and to create new realities based on other values. And so I, I met with like a community of open-minded, open-earth uh, people and, well, sorry for my English. If I if I kill it a little bit, you can just enjoy the, the accent. <laughs> and so through this community, I like really at the end of the week, I was like, oh my god, I'm so glad I went. And I know, like 
deep in my bone, I know I need to go back next year. And it's not just a desire. It's like, I know I have to be there. I don't know why, but like, this is very clear. This is one of the clearest thing I've been, uh, you know, feeling until the year after I went. And that's where I found Koya. Randomly out of nowhere, I was like on the morning, I was I just had one of this crazy night that you can have at Burning Man sometimes, did a lot of stuff that I'm usually not doing. And I was like, whoa, 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 <laughs> like maybe I just need to pause and do something that is just going to ground me and make sure that um, I'm still aligned with what I want to experience. And so I, I wanted to go to that meditation that I found on the booklet that there is at Burning Man, went to the meditation, never found it. I found the Koya class instead. So just me, the teacher, the guy running on AC on the floor, <laughs> nine in the morning, the sun was rising. So I was like, I don't know what Koya is, but like the theme was uh, dancing with your intuition. And so that was the theme I was also like on my personal life with. So I even printed this, this little bracelet uh, written like intuition is your superpower. And so that was my gift at Burning Man. Because Burning Man has this gifting culture of like, there's no money, that's just gift. And so I took the class and during the class, like I had, it's like my life changed that day. And like for someone who already had a huge change, like the, the year before with the earthquakes, that was not a small thing to say that my life changed that day. It's like, you know, I've been living life with like gentle colors my whole life. And suddenly everything was just appearing with like very clear color, like full of like, you know, vibrance and all of it. And and I've been dancing my whole life, but that day I danced in a way that my body was dancing and my mind was just like, whoa, that's so fun. What's happening over there? Like I was not thinking any of what I was doing. Like I was just experiencing life in a whole new way. And that day I had vision of me teaching Koya, vision of me teaching Koya teachers, vision of me doing interviews and all sorts of things. And that was not making any sense because I was not searching for a new job at that point I was already uh, I already entered a new career and and I have no clue I had no clue what Koya was but like I had all this vision arriving to me and by the end of the class I went to the teacher with my the bracelet and she came to me with like a, a wand like a magical wand and she gave me the wand and she said like so that's my that's my burning man gift and that's a reminder that intuition is your superpower and so I opened my hand. <laughs> on my hand, there was a bracelet. <laughs> and I swear that if there is like any intuition storm that could happen in the in the sky, that would have happened at that exact moment. So we both cried and felt in each other's arm. And like I knew, and there's nothing I knew more than that day that like there was something major for me. I was no clue exactly what it was, but I was like, okay, I, I know that like I cannot not pay attention to that moment. This is the moment where like whoosh, <laughs> you know everyone can switch <laughs> and so from that moment so I continued this path I came back to France and I was just that's so exciting I'm gonna dance Koya and uh, and I arrived in France and I saw that the only person that gave a few classes she just moved to Israel at that uh, that place so I was the only one in France so I was like okay well I guess I need to be a Koya teacher because like there's no way we can do it without Koya so then I trained with uh, Rochelle Chic and and all of it. And after a few a few months, I came back to France. I started teaching like every week, every like even twice a week, most of the time. And after a few months, again, I felt like, well, I cannot do that on my own. We need more teachers. <laughs> so so then I, I started training teachers. And so that's all all that grew. And in parallel of that, I've uh, like for the more formal thing, I've been also a therapist. Like uh, in cold, uh, in France, we call that sophotherapist. It's called something that is close to hypnosis. So I've been doing that and I'm a, a Reiki teacher. So I've been 
doing Reiki for a long time and that's a big part of how I've been you know developing my my intuition for sure and and I'm a modern priestess I've been trained as like a priestess with some shamanic training uh, a labyrinth facilitator uh, yoga nidra yoga nidra teacher <laughs> all sorts of things and right now I'm also training as a an, an, an intuitive astrologer so I I also find a lot of wisdom coming like directly from the sky so so that's all the, the titles, but as you said, like most of what I'm doing is really about uh, supporting the Koya community and like um, supporting Le Boucher, which is uh, a, a company that I created with a friend. I'm, I'm the co-founder of Le Boucher, which is a place for sacred activism. Sacred activism being this this place where we can um, commune both the the commitment for ourselves through like spiritual work and personal development and um, the commitment for the world with like social justice and uh, environmental justice. And most of the time what I found in France is like both of these areas are like, you know, two sides of uh, a gaps that are rarely meeting each other. Either you are like really into the world trying to support like women's rights or whatever and you're exhausting yourself and you can only do it for a few years because after that like, it's just too much and like you're lacking like personal resources either you're taking care of yourself and you have to disconnect from politics disconnect from the news disconnect from so many things because it's just too hard to take care of yourself with this amount of pressure on so many places where you could involve yourself and so i was not satisfied with with any of this because like i was coming from you know i was coming from being a social worker and and working really hard in the mental health field and then I went from like, okay, I'm going to take care of myself, going very deep into the spiritual work. And I was like, well, there's, I need both. Like the truth is I need both in my life. I don't feel like it's making any sense for me to really work that hard on me. If around me, the world is collapsing. And also I cannot do this world, this work of being very involved in the community. If I'm not having a deep nourishment for myself, a deep connection to all the parts of myself. So I need both together and I may not be the, the only one. And so with, with my friend Pauline, we created this, this community with a lot of content and resource and ways to gather to continue to nourish this idea that like the, there should be a third way. There should be a way where we can take both care of ourselves and the world together and we don't have to choose. And maybe there's ways where it can be also like, you know, fun, nourishing, healing for everyone. So, so that's what I'm doing at the moment. <laughs> Where do I even start? There's so much to unpick there. Thank you so much for that beautiful history. And, you know, just how already intuition is just such a huge part of who you are and Mm -hmm. your life, especially over the last six, seven years. And I love how you described your experience um, at Burning Man as an earthquake on the inside, you know, Mm -hmm. and uh, like sometimes that's what listening to, the you know listening to and experiencing things that really resonate with the core of who we are that's what it can feel like and very similar to you in my first Koya class I it was this light bulb moment of mm-hmm. this is what I want to do I've been looking for this my whole life and here I am and um and I think that you know we you know we do talk a lot about Koya on this podcast um but it is for a reason because it's a really mm-hmm. powerful practice mm-hmm. of connecting deeply with um, embodiment and intuition and um and so yeah it's a it's is it, you know, intuition as a superpower being the theme of like you know of your experience at burning man and you know probably the theme of your life <laughs> it sounds like <laughs> didn't stop there in 2015 and 16 um 
I would love to get, I'm definitely going to ask you about sacred activism a bit more. Um, but I suppose like you've talked about how intuition has been a big part of your journey from social worker to sacred activist. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, for me, I, a parallel, I followed a parallel path in my life. So it really, really resonates. I suppose if you could break down intuition as you experience it, like what does that look like, feel like, smell like, like what is intuition to you? Well, where I am standing right now is like the way I see intuition is like as a field, um, a collective field, but more than a collective field, like a field of wisdom from the universe. And I don't see intuition as like a personal skill. I see the skill as like being open to receive your part on it and being, you know, open to act on it. But like, I see intuition as something that is way bigger than us and, and that we may like each of us may open and receive a part of the cake. And like, some of us have like similar part of the cake so we can connect together <laughs> and be like, Oh, I also received this intuition. Oh, great. So maybe we have something to co-create together. Or like maybe we're here to confirm something that we both felt. So the, the way I'm like feeling it is like, you know, as a, as a field, and how I'm feeling it in my body personally is like very, very often either a sensation, either a clear knowing. And through time, like I've, I've been developing this really intimate relationship with my intuition. So it's coming really fast when it's something where like, you know, none of my patterns are involved. <laughs> Like, for example, let's say for someone, if someone is telling me like, like almost instantly, I would have a, like a very strong feeling in my body. And uh, so I will always ask if the person wants to have my opinion or not on that. And knowing that it not, may not be the truth, <laughs> but like for myself, it's not that easy for sure. But I, I want to, I want to note that. Uh, yeah. When, I, when I'm not involved in the topic, like when there's nothing, no huge desire or huge fear, like this is usually something like in my body, the feeling would just be like a snap, like chook. And like, the, like, for example, let's say you ask a question of like, oh, Claire, should I move to uh, Britannia or to this island? And I would have a, a clear feeling like if you say Britannia, like in my body, it would like sparkle a little bit or feel like a strong yes. Whether if you said the other island, it would feel like, mm, mm, not really. <laughs> That's the best I could describe it. <laughs> Usually intuition has a sense of the joy of something that feels true, not because it's always easy, not because it's always joyful, like some, some, sometimes we have this huge intuition that we need to, you know, put a boundary somewhere, like, or like stop eating that food that feels so good and comforting, but it's actually not what we need to eat. And so, but there's like the, this strong feeling of truth that is joyful on the, on the inside, like, like, you know, on, on your deepest cells, a, a sense of like, yes. I know, I know exactly that's, that's what I need to do. Am I going to do it or not? This is like a total different question, but like, um, that's how I would, yeah, that's how I would describe it where I am right now. Mm. And you mentioned you made a decision um, back, I guess, in 2015 that you were going to follow your intuition for three mm -hmm. years. I mean, have you ever stopped? No, <laughs> <laughs> but I still had a point with myself in 2018 and I was like, okay, so what, what do you want to do with that right now? And I still started to shift, not in 2018, more like on the years after, but like I really dedicated myself to following whatever messages I received. And what happened is like, I traveled the world, like I did like probably three times 
the entire world and I was going from one place to another and I was feeling my heart was like, okay, you need to go to New Zealand. Okay, I'm buying a ticket to New Zealand. Okay, you need to create a company. Okay, I'm creating a company. You need to write a book. I'm writing a book. And so by the end of 2018, I was exhausted, like really exhausted. And I was like, I'm burned out with my favorite life. This is, there is something that I, that seems funny like that, but I was like, this is not my favorite life then. So there's a big adjustment we need to have. And so I, started connecting with, you know, my sense of, of power in some ways. It was easy for me to just um, some, somewhere like, you know, move from the external environment uh, that told me like, oh, you should live your life that way, which I was responding to until 2015, to suddenly responding to something that I felt like as intuition or as like the invisible offering me some answers, but I was still not moving from a place of being my own uh, authority and having responsibility on it. I was still like, you know, putting myself as a student or like as a child of something bigger. And so I was more aware, like, because I chose to be like the child of the invisible, if you want to. But I was still, you know, not really wanting to take responsibility. I was like, oh, this is, I'm very tired because I felt I need to go there. And so by, you know, 2019, probably, and like 2020, definitely, I was like, well, it seems for me, intuition is more a sense of co-creating with the invisible. And in co-creating, you have a part. <laughs> you have a part on it and whether you like it or not there is choice you need to make and and therefore there's no way you can blame on like oh I sense I need to do that but this, this and that happened well I also chose to to do it so I need to just come back to the place of like I'm also choosing and if I'm choosing you know there's a, a part of the choice that I'm not going to have and part of the choice that I'm going to have and the consequences are going to come with that so I don't know if that's making sense but like there were really a sense of authority that, that moved inside of me, which was also going with a deeper layer of like, oh, am I taking responsibility? Like, oh, am I becoming an adult on more level, like on more emotional level, mostly for me on the last years of, yeah, you need to, you need to become an adult on that. And that's very tiring to be an adult because then you cannot blame on everything. <laughs> well, you, you can, but you, you also need to take care of yourself in a different way. So that, that was my, my past with intuition was going with that. And so now I'm also, I'm feeling some stuff and I'm also taking responsibility for which path I want to take or not. And also making choice from a place of like, I hear what I would call intuition. I hear also like the other voice in me and I'm making a choice with hearing all of them. It's like we're having a council all together. Most of the time I follow intuition. I would still say, <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not taking it from a place of like, oh, I'm just being blind and just doing it because I said I would. I love how you describe that of um, sort of co-creating with the invisible, moving from being almost like a child of the universe and the child, a student of intuition to basically say, no, 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 we're on the same team here and mm -hmm. getting to take responsibility and accountability and authority for those decisions. Because as you said, you can, you know, you're like, you know, you, you're exhausted by your favorite life, you know? And so it no longer becomes, you know, your intuition levels up. It no longer becomes, it was what it was for a time and it becomes something different. And I suppose it's being, you know, finding the, the way to listen, to continue to listen as you evolve and as your mm -hmm. intuition and your relationship with it evolves as well. Um, I was wondering if we could loop back to the sacred activism and the, and I guess like talking about sometimes what 
blocks intuition or what blocks people's ability to follow it, but also the relationship between listening to your intuition and the collective good. And, you know, as, as, as uh, you kind of touched on, like, you know, what does it mean to connect to your own wisdom, but in combination with a collective wisdom mm-hmm. and a little bit about how you, how that um, plays out in your life. Yeah, I can say that I'm like all clear on that. And I don't think I'm meant to be. And I don't think we're meant to understand exactly all this field of energy is working. But um, the way I think about it is when I, like, for example, let's say I'm making a prayer or like setting an intention, depending on how you want to word it. I am also always asking for it to come in a way that is also going to match with the collective wellness. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I could have an example on that. yeah, for example, let's say I feel there's a new project I need to birth and I, I'm asking the universe, okay, let me know, like, what is the best way for me to do it? Is it something that is supposed to be grounded in a place? Is it something that is supposed to be online? Like, uh, who am I supposed to work with? And can you support me to just be on this collective field? So it's not just me and my desire to birth something in the world. And, and you know, there's nothing wrong about, like, being nourished because, like, people love your work or anything, but also it's not enough. It's not a reason good enough to do something well in my, in my perspective today. And so all am I making sure that what I'm doing is also what is needed in the community and all like, you know, there's probably tons of things that I'm thinking that I could do in, the, in this project. I could feel like, Oh, maybe I could teach Ricky and do this and do this and do that. And maybe the universe is going to be like, well, we need only half of it and we need you to do it this certain way. So there's probably another outlet for this other thing that you want to do. There's probably some outlet for your desire, but not on that project. So there's a matter for me of like, you know, I'm inviting some of my desires and ideas and then I'm listening to what, what really is wanted and needed in this world, in this community at the moment. And there's some, there's a lot of honesty to have with that. It's not always easy. <laughs> so I would say like there's definitely a process of time of like asking at different time. Uh, and also for me, intuition, like the way I see it as something collective is like I'm working with a lot of people to also have their intuition and stuff because I deeply believe that, you know, there's a field of information and we all receive part of it. And like other people are supporting us to confirm something that we have sensed. So, for example, I have like, you know, two or three friends that like that I I, I trust their intuition. So whenever I'm having an ID, like whether the ID. It's like, let's say, let's roll with this project of like, oh, I, I'm, I'm having this idea of like doing this project. So what, what do you have as information for me? And I don't say too much so they can just, you know, give me what they have. And I would just like, you know, bring what they, all they, all they receive and just feel like, oh, well, all of that is matching on that level and all of that is not. And so then I'm just going to make a choice, but it's very supportive to know that other people receive the same thing as you do or receive the same boundaries or like, you know, the three of them are saying like, no, you're not supposed to do Reiki in that thing. And so if three people are saying it, I'm like, well, (laughs) so where's that idea coming from? Do I want to force on that path? Do I really trust that it has to be? Or like, do I want to maybe look at it in a different perspective? And how can I, how can I stay flexible on that? So that's the, the way I would link it into, you know, the collective wisdom for me is both about, knowing yourself and your bias really well and knowing the 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 way your desire are gonna interfere and asking for the support of others because others are also gonna be very neutral on what they receive for you 
Mm. And also knowing other people bias <laughs> that matter. Like for example, I'm, I'm very often asking questions about my love life to my friend, but I know some of them, they're so, they're so wanting for me what I want for myself that I know they're not neutral neither. So, you know, that's, that's just an example of like, you know, we all have this, this is bias. So the more you can find neutral people, the more it can also going to support your intuition and clarify um, whether it's intuition or whether it's something else talking through you. Mm. And in that, I love the idea of like bringing in the wisdom of other intuitives, but also recognizing like where the line is that like, oh, it's just because I love you. <laughs> it's not intuition. It's just my heart says I want the best thing in the world for you. And if mm-hmm. that's what you want, I love it too. I love that for you. It's sort of like sometimes you're like, mm, but is it the right thing? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about um, how intuition works for you at that intersection of you know, the connection of the two pathways that you mentioned. So yeah. the pathway of, you know, working on yourselves, but working for the best, for, for the betterment mm-hmm. of the world. And then how do concepts like um, decolonization and depatriarch, I, I, you say it in the most beautiful way, depatriarch, I, I, I'm like a professional feminist and I can't even say the word, <laughs> of, of smashing the patriarchy. That's not that way. Um, how does that, so at the intersection of these two pathways of social justice and spiritual well-being for yourself, where do, you know, where does intuition come into that? And where does sort of like the, the of sort of the soup that we swim in of colonialism, of racism, of patriarchy, et cetera, of all the oppressions, like how does that play in and how does your intuition help um, with those, with the combination and the, and the weaving together of those two pathways for you? Hmm. That's a good question. I never really asked myself uh, how intuition was like, you know, in the middle of that. Let, um, I'm just going to take a, a minute to connect with that. Well, I would say the first way it came is because this idea of creating Le Boucher came from a deep intuition. It was not convenient at all. Let me tell you that three years ago, <laughs> you know, three years ago, I was in the middle of like traveling and doing all these things. I think that's probably what, like by the time we met and I was like all over the place, like literally like in my work and and and, and phys- physically. And I and after I teach a choir class, I was not able to sleep. And so I asked the universe during my night, like, so why am I not sleeping? Like I did that class, that was great. And the class, it was a, a cycle of three classes. Um, and the, the theme of it was something like uh, sacred change or something like that. <laughs> and, you know, there's this, this thing I'm sure you experience of like when you brought up a, t- a theme, like the universe doesn't care if you're the one teaching or the one receiving, like everyone receives. <laughs> and so I was still on this idea of like, oh, I'm going to hold space for people to go into like the most beautiful change and necessary change. And the universe was like, <laughs> what you too my dear (laughs) so after the second workshop I was not sleeping talked to the universe during the night and it's not like I'm hearing the universe on my on my ear like as I said like I was more feeling into it and be like okay what what I'm supposed to do and so I heard like well you're supposed to create a school for people to connect with their intuition and to like you know develop the skills and like reconnect with their land and reconnect with ancestral uh, teaching and you're supposed to do it in a way that you co-create with other people. And I was like, damn, I don't like to co-create. It's just too complicated. And I, I don't know when I'm going to do that. Like, there's no way I can do that, like, in the middle of Koya and of my clients and all, of all, all, all of it. But I was so committed. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. But you need to give me all the things to do it. Like, you need to give me, like, the people I'm supposed to work with, like, 
ease with administration and all of this because otherwise I'm just gonna you know um, lost myself into the things that I have to do and never really get to the core of supporting people in, in that manner and so on the weeks that follow I started receiving like very clear images of women in my field that I was supposed to contact and I was contacting them but you know I was very uh, I don't know if you said that in English but like when things are very unclear like it was like very like gray water about like what I was doing so I would send emails saying like oh I'm thinking of doing like a school <laughs> I was having no date no reproject but I was like and I saw your face like I had an image of your face would you like to work with me and like I was 100% sure that no one would say yes to something that blurry and everyone said yes. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> so then we were 11 women trying to like to bring up this project and I was like, oh my God, this is so intense. And I, I love to work with people when we know exactly what we're supposed to do. But then on this one, I was clearly managing people to go on a place where I was not even knowing where I was supposed to go. To go. And like, they were all trusting my intuition. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why intuition started I would say on this project and that's how I knew it was an intuition because it would just be about me like I would have just continued as an independent and I would not have, have this idea of like creating something that big like with so much ambition and I would be like okay well stop it this is like let's go slower and it's just like start a little cabinet somewhere and so and so I, I met up with that friend, like Pauline, who is very, um, you know, active on on the, the activism part. Like she's a big part of like Extinction Rebellion and all this part. And she was also like diving deeper into her spirituality. And she was having this question of like, well, I don't know how to connect both. And she heard this term about sacred activism. And when she said it, I felt in my body, I was just like, that's what we need to do in a school. Like, it's not just a school about, you know, Reiki or whatever like the specificity we need to have, it's like, it's about sacred activism. So that's what we need to bring. And as I said it, I was listening to myself saying it. And I was like, well, you know, part of me, I was like, interesting. I'm <laughs> noticing that I'm just saying yes to that thing. But it was so clear. And I was like, I have no clue how we're going to go there, but I know this is what we are meant to do. And so what I'm... Uh, like, so that was years, years before. So that was years ago, like probably four years ago. And... And now I'm still having a strong sense of when I connect with Le Boucher, like when I, you know, when I really take the time to ask Le Boucher to give me information, like it's never really convenient. But activism is not convenient, is it? <laughs> not at all. Like It's not convenient for myself because it requires me to look at my, at my privilege, at my bias, at all the ways I'm like saying one thing and not really doing it, all the grief that it takes to be like, well, I'm, I have to release some of my comfort on that. I have to like really releasing a lot of like mental comfort on like, it was so much easier to not have awareness on that topic. And now I'm having awareness, like there's no way I can just sleep without thinking about it. And so a lot of my intuition are right now about like, okay, you need to bring more of this, that awareness on Koya. You need to bring more of that awareness on the spiritual community. Cause like in France and here, I'm, you know, I'm the, the one who brought Koya. So like I'm, I'm known in a certain way. I'm, uh, so there's a lot of people following me and I feel now I've been like setting this ground of having a voice as someone who is uh, a spiritual teacher. Now it is a good time to be like, well, now you're listening for, to me around that. Like there's also things I want to support you to connect with. And each time I'm, you know, each time I'm sending a newsletter saying like, hey, why don't we look at our privilege? <laughs> you know, this kind of this type of newsletter, like, 
it is so hard in my body and I know this is like my intuition to to do it and my intuition to continue one step after another to bring different topics of like are we about anti-racism like how can we do better how can we do better about like giving back some of of our money to the people we are learning from or are we on those topics and I'm always so afraid that I'm going to lost some of my community because I'm always so afraid that no one will want to pay for that and people just want to have you know empowerment that is telling them like you can do everything and that they don't want to have this voice saying like yes and no you can do everything if you are very privileged and I would love for everyone to be able to do everything so how can you empower like you know some other people on your path and also bring that and so I so I, I I feel this moment where like the universe is kind of like okay now you need to take one more step and I feel it like almost more in my back because it feels like something that is pushing me forward and it's not uh, it's not comfortable but I know that if I don't do it you know that this kind of thing that on your list if you don't do it it's going to be worse than if you do it mm. I mean that I, I could I really could talk to you I think all day about this and I want to start the um uh, I want to start the UK school for Les Boucher. I want it. Mm. Let's, let's, so we're going to talk offline about that, Claire, because, um, you know, I similarly feel that. And I do feel it in the same part of my body coming right through the back of my heart into the front of my heart that, you know, that helping and supporting myself first and foremost to walk that line of sacred activism um, and also to weave that into um, into the, the community that I work with. Um, and I think, you know, that, you know, starting with getting, you know, starting with listening to and feeling into what does empowerment look like across the piece and um and what does collective empowerment look like Mm -hmm. and what does accountability in our practices in our learning and in our teaching truly look like as well Mm -hmm. um you know these are all questions that you know really resonate with me too and um i'd love to hear um about sort of like your own, in your own learning journey, who have been some of your teachers and people who've inspired you and, and how do you give back to those mm-hmm. folks? If indeed that's something you feel called to do. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would say, so what you're, you're growling on the side is my, is my baby dog. <laughs> and um, so my biggest teacher, like uh, in a shamanic way is, her name is Caroline Paget and she's also a Koya teacher and she is, um, she described herself as a healer and priestess. And she is, I think she's more like, um, or do I put that in word? It's more clear right now the way she, she is also bringing activism in her work. But the way I feel the activism is like she, support, she supported me to ask the real question of like when I connect with my intuition or when I connect with a practice, how can I really be honest and really look at all the parts of myself at play and so even though it was uh you know a connection of reconnecting with some uh some some roots and some shamanic practices there's also she she has this very honest place of um you know not being all shiny and all light but really bringing the shadow and really bringing the shadow as something like you need to connect with and you're going to find your own way to connect with but like this is part of the work and and so now we are more talking about the, the collective shadow. Uh, so in my in my past it was more the personal shadow, but she's talking a lot about the collective shadow, and I think that's uh, one of the way I felt I could connect with her work. And so another big of my 
teachers, of course, like Rochelle Sheik, who is the founder of Koya. Uh, and Koya is, is going more and more into activism itself. Uh, so, of course, there's, there's roots to that. And Virginia Rosenberg was uh, the astrologer uh, connected to Koya as well. And she's very into also activism. So she's one of the first who I could connect with who were like, oh, she's holding like both deeply like both the spiritual part and the activist part and like she's holding both and there's no um there's no you have to choose one of the other and right now at the moment i'm very inspired by uh, esther perel i don't know if you know her work like she's more into like you know the the, the therapy field but i think there's so more so like so much more that she's teaching as a way of like how do you relate to yourself to the world to relationship so that is like something deep for me and yeah I think, uh, and I've been, yeah, recently, more recently, I've been more looking at the work of Gabor Maté and I've been very into uh, working more with trauma because I think trauma is deeply connected to, you know, to the social activist uh, work and how can we look at our individual and collective trauma and how are we going to hold that? Uh, yeah, so I think those, those are the main teachers I could uh, name right now. Mm, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I think that once I love how you describe it as the collective shadow and co you know collective trauma and and that I think that's uh, the expansion into weaving um, together you know community activism, sacred activism into our well-being work is is looking beyond the individual, mm -hmm. looking at the collective, looking at other people's experiences, but also owning all like as you said um looking at all parts of ourselves at play mm -hmm. including the different parts of our identity where we carry power where we don't carry power where our where our inherent privilege lies and then how that moves us through the world um you know on our well-being journeys in in whatever work we you know we choose or are called to do and then also um in the in the ways we give back to community the ways we teach whether mm -hmm. you're teaching you know whether you're you know you're everyone's a teacher to somebody right mm -hmm. um you know whether you're a parent or a friend or you know we're all you know we're we're you know when you're in community in relationship you there is there they're sharing and teaching so where does our where does our accountability in our well-being practices and beyond lie and i love that you're asking those questions and that the teachers that you're inspired by are, are also asking those questions too mm -hmm. So Claire, what kind of practices are you engaged in around sacred activism or indeed now, like what, you know, what, what are the practices that you go to for that deep connection to self and to intuition? Mm -hmm. Oh, and also I think I forgot to answer part of your question before, like one of the way I give back, uh, which was your question before that I, I forgot is, uh, well, I give back financially to the Wiracocha Foundation, which is a foundation that is supporting uh, the Keros to maintain their culture and their teaching. And the Keros being um, the, the shaman from the Andes where the, the practice of Koya is sourcing from. And so that's one of the way where I think uh, the spiritual field has to really connect deeply and have, have to really create deep relationship because so much of the spiritual teachings that we are having in the Western world right now is coming from some places where they have been able to maintain this, this connection to spirituality. And like, we haven't had that, like we have had a disconnection from that. And so I'm so grateful that this cultures, these people have been able to maintain the, this relationship through their own selves, through their bodies, through their spirituality. So we can remember ourselves, but then 
like we also need to value them for the work they have been doing. And so there's a, a big trend right now, which is, you know, around yoga teacher, but that could definitely apply to Koya teacher about like, how can we have this awareness? And like, if we are making part of our living with that, how can we also support those who have been maintaining this culture to also, uh, you know, make a living with that and to have this culture uh, strive as well, maybe at some point. And how can we consider that we are a team with them and like, we would not be teaching what we are teaching without them. And so what is the way we can, we can give back. So I'm giving back. It's not always the same percentage, but like this year, like, like for this month, I'm, I'm about to give like about 2000 euro uh, to them. So that's, this is my, like, this is per year that I'm doing it. So this is, you know, this is a big amount, but like most of my work is, is sourcing a lot from their, from their teaching. So it feels um, yeah, it feels fair, it feels fair to do that, and I'm not saying that everyone should do it this way. Like we are not exactly uh, all in our same place in, in terms of teaching, but I think we should at least, uh, you know, think about it and like consider what is the way we want to be in relationship. Is there a way we want to learn more from them? Is there a way we want to pay them directly for what they are teaching instead of, uh, you know, learning from other people? Like I don't know. There's tons of reflection that can happen. There's not uh, one way fits all. But at least we cannot disconnect from where is it where is it coming from, and yeah, what is the way we are remembering who we are and who are the people who supported it through time? Now the people who are supporting us right now, like as I said, like Caroline Paget or like my teachers, and there are other people that supported it through the last like decades, and all their sons and you know the, the lineage that that come after them are also receiving at least right now. So that's that's for the, this part of the question, and and just just to jump in, then I'll ask you the other question. But thank you for coming back to that because it's such an important point. And I think that you know the the starting point um, for I think a lot of people perhaps listening to that is the reflection point about where you're learning and where what what is that you've woven through your life in terms of your your practices and your teachings. Like where have they come from? What is their lineage? And then. Mm-hmm to be in right relationships so reflecting on the lineage and then reflecting on, okay, to be in right relationship for these, for these people who have been caretaking this lineage for, for, you know, much longer than I've been um, benefiting from it. You know, what, um, what do I want to give back to be in right relationship or how do I want to be not even giving back starting with how do I want to be in right relationship with this lineage of spirituality, mm-hmm. of well-being, of practices, and then listening to your intuition about, again, that personal and collective wisdom as well about what feels right in that as well. Um, you know, and I know that when I offer, for example, like I don't often teach in America, but, you know, I'm from, you know, I'm from outside of Mass, I'm from outside of Boston, which is from the stolen lands of the Massachusetts and Wampanoag people. And, you know, I don't teach there often, but when I do teach there, I know I make a donation to the tribal councils of the lands I'm on because that feels right and resonant because I, you know, my, you know, that's, that, that, that's just a, that's one thing. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's an easy thing for me to think about and to do. And, you know, I think, but it's, it's, it's that pausing and stopping and that reflection about, um, about what we can do. Um, and, and, and indeed where we source from and also naming it too. I think like mm-hmm. starting with naming it and, you know, um, and not just 
claiming it, I suppose, yes. your own and your own knowledge, but really, and that's why I always ask in every conversation, I say this again, again, like I ask people where their inspiration is and who their teachers are, because, you know, I, I feel like we are, we, we absorb so much knowledge um, and acknowledging that is a really important thing in, mm -hmm. all, in terms of, you know, sacred activism for me. Yeah. So, And I think there's a big piece about learning as well, which is not the most convenient, but like, I think one of the way colonialism is like impacting our mind is like, we take what we want and we leave the rest. And so something that I've been decided to do is like to really learn more about the, the chaos and to read more about that and to connect with them the more I can. So I'm not just taking the part that is interesting to me in the culture and also connecting with all the different aspects. And not that that mean I mean to, to be a devotee to everything that they are saying, but at least having the, the fuller spectrum that I can have with something that I'm teaching and that is like most of my living is like teaching, uh, like, you know, spreading their teaching. And so, that, you know, I was even having this like question in my mind this year, I decided, decided to take a dance class where I am and I was happy that we could dance again. And so the dance class I was feeling called to do is called Bengra and it's like a dance from India. And a, a part of me was like, do I really want to just go to Bangra every Monday evening and never care about this culture and never know anything? Or like, do I want to invest more time? Or like, what is the way I'm not just going to be like, you know, this, this colonial person that is just taking what she wants. Like, I just want to dance on a Monday evening. And that's often with my friend. And that's great. Like, and honestly, I'm not saying that I found a solution right now. I'm just going to dance. <laughs> But it's very much on my mind. And it was present on my mind of like, Do I want to commit to, to do that thing? And am I ready to really put more energy into it? What is the way I want to really connect with the people that are caring about Bengrad and that are making sure that I can have this dance class on a Monday evening in La Rochelle? And all uh, there's, there's a deep question of time also of like um, maybe rethinking our way of like picking tons of things. And by saying that, like, you know, I gave you my bio. <laughs> Like I learned from a ton of different teachers and now I think I'm more in a place of like, oh, what is the way I can actually connect deeper and not just take like the part that is the most uh, fun or nourishing for me and not wanting to at least uh, hear from the rest of what they have to say. So, you know, that's a question I have. I'm not saying that like there's one answer for all again, but uh, there's, there's something that I think about our colonial mind that we need to rethink in terms of like how much are we able to connect with something and to really listen to everything they have to say. Um, yeah. I, re I really appreciate that invitation. I feel like I know decolonialization is a word that comes up a lot and it, it, the meaning has been absorbed and expanded mm -hmm. on but you know the the invitation to think about how we decolonize our practice um in a way that you know that's that may not be convenient for us mm -hmm. but in a way that feels right and resonant um, mm -hmm. so going back to practice um what practices are you engaged in at the moment or that you know what what are the things that you come back to that um connect you deeply into your intuition mm -hmm. I would say the main one is really being still and listening. And that sounds like, you know, easy. That's probably the hardest <laughs> for me. <laughs> um, like the easiest for me is, is going to be to be dancing and all of it. But where I'm receiving the most information is when I really take a like deliberate pose and like I'm posing for like 20 minutes and an hour, not even asking for anything, just posing. 
And like the answer may come at that moment, the answer may come later. But when I have really this moment where there's nothing, like there's just a blank in me, then I can see that the flow of intuition is just like, um, you know, activated during the week. And yeah, and taking a, a Koya class is always, um, yeah, is always full of insight for me and full of, of not, not that I'm always receiving intuition at the moment, but it's like kind of clearing clearing all the ways I'm like trapped into certain thoughts and fears and this and that and trauma and projection. And it it's putting all of that on the side and making it clear for me what it is. So I can actually have a clearer sense of like, what is the channel through which I'm receiving? And it's kind of clearing the channel on the inside. <laughs> and so then there's more space for any intuition that wants to come, whether it is through, you know, dreaming or whatever. And a practice I, I, I do very often, which is coming from Yoga Nidra, is uh, lucid dreaming. So lucid dreaming is like whenever you're falling asleep or when you're waking up from sleep or like when you're inducing it through Yoga Nidra or this kind of practices, uh, is having this moment where you're not like, you know, in your thinking mind but you're also not asleep. And so you're having this sort of like image ideas and not, not everything is linear. It's very like, you know, labyrinth, <laughs> labyrinthic path inside, but there's a lot of ideas. Like I feel that's the place where there is the most creativity mm -hmm. for me and the most uh, ability to be like, you know, problem solving in a way that is uh, yeah, more intuitive, definitely. So I would say that that's uh, my basic practices to come back and nature. Like I'm going on a walk like two hours per day with, with the pup. So going in nature is uh, definitely having the same effect as Koya for me. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, I think it was Dali who was a big fan of lucid dreaming and that mm -hmm. he would, um, he would hold a, a fork or a knife in his hand as he was falling asleep and underneath the knife, underneath, like directly underneath the knife where it would fall, he'd put like a plate And so when he was falling asleep, he'd drop it and wake up in that state of lucid dreaming. And that's where he, that's for the place, place from which he would paint. So mm -hmm. I do think like there's that, that place of creativity, that's that connection to subconscious coming through in, in, in lucid dreaming. Um, so Claire, if you, are there any other intuitive stories that you'd like to share today? Um, You know, I think you've spoken so beautifully about the different ways in which from 2015 onwards that intuition has been your compass. And could you, are there, are there any other things that you'd like to share either when intuition's been like, oh yeah, that's, you know, thanks for that. That's like Le Boucher, like that's a little inconvenient, but I, I, I guess it's the truth. It's the truth of, it's my truth right now. Um, or when, you know, it's been like those, whew, like, you know, yes, feelings. And it could be something like, oh, you know, That's what I, it's, it came when I had breakfast today or, or it was in moving to where I am right now. But like, are there any other stories of intuition you'd like to share with us? Oh gosh, I have hundreds of stories of intuition from, you know, or I find my publisher for the book or like all this kind of stuff. But like one of the most recent one is, oh, I decided to move to this place. So I'm living right now in La Rochelle in France, which is on the Atlantic coast. And I moved there a year and a half ago. So during the summer after the, the beginning of the pandemic, And there were no reason for me to move over there because I don't know anyone. And, you know, despite describing myself as an introvert, the truth is like I'm having lots of friends. And so I'm having friends everywhere in France instead, uh, except in La Rochelle. I mean, <laughs> but so during the pandemic, so during the lockdown, 
uh, I was like, okay, so clearly I'm not going to travel again. So where do I want to go? And, and I was feeling like, oh, I could go by the ocean. That would be nice to be by the ocean. And in my body, I felt like you need to go in La Rochelle. And my mind was just like, no way, not going to go in La Rochelle. I don't know anyone. Like, why would I go there? And the only day I went to La Rochelle was actually with Rochelle Chic, the founder of Koya, because she wanted to visit the town. And I enjoyed it, but I could not say that I had like a strong feeling. But the fun part of the story is like two months before the lockdown, I met two guys during um, a party. And when I saw them, like, I had a very strong, clear feeling in my body that they would be some, like important people in my life. I was like, okay, funny, like, why not? So we texted a little bit, but then lockdown happened. So, you know, I was like, okay, we're probably going to be friends. I'm going to see them again. And so by the month of June, I was like, okay, I'm going to move to La Rochelle. So I took my, my bicycle and a backpack with like all my stuff. And I, and I took a train to go to La Rochelle. And I was just, my mind was like, okay, worst case, we can still come back to Paris. It's not a big deal. <laughs> and my body was like, well, I'm totally going to La Rochelle, going to live over there. And so in June, when I told my friends that I decided to move there, they said like, oh, you remember these two guys that you met in February? They also took the same decision as you. They both decided to move to La Rochelle. <laughs> so I was like, no way. And so we met like the three of us, like in the summer of 2020. And since then, we have been like, you know, kind of best friends and like having tons of adventure together and really being pillars to each other. And so what I want to bring with that story is like, there's some intuition you have, they're only going to unroll like on the week after. And there's some things you know, but you don't know what you know. You just know that you know something, <laughs> you know, like it's going to be important. Like, oh, there's something over there. So I'm having a booklet where I write like the, the place where I'm just, there's something around that. And I don't know what it is. Like I can try to make up a story with that and I can try to make up a story of like, maybe it's going to be my new lover, <laughs> maybe all this and that. And so usually I'm just going to, you know, put my favorite story on it. But the truth is like, it's going to unfold in a way that like in time, you're going to know why you knew, but like, you don't know what you knew, you know, at the moment, you just know that there is something. So, there, so I have this booklet with uh, there is something about. <laughs> and so I write like so there is something about this place when I go to a place where like I have a strong connection or there is something with this project, there is something with this person and I'm releasing all the projection of like my mind wanting to go into stories of like, oh, we could work together, we could be lover, we could be this, we could be that and I'm just, you know, waiting for things to unfold. <laughs> so that's, that's the story of how I went to La Rochelle and how I... I'm also giving more space for intuition to unfold at its own timing. I love that. I want to start um, an intuition notebook, like, and I like writing across the top. There is something about this thing that I feel like a zing about, and I don't even know, but I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I trust that it's unfolding. I think. Mm -hmm. um, and so, if what um, is there anything else you'd like to share with with listeners? in terms of any advice or anything else that you any other wisdom you want to bring to us um claire about your about intuition generally mm -hmm. wherever someone is on their intuitive journey uh, is there anything else you'd like to share with us i've seen the last thing i would like to share is to to have fun with it one way i mean at least one way i am with that is like I'm serious as fuck with anything that I'm doing in life. <laughs> so even when it comes about intuition, I'm just like, I'm going to go all in for three years. <laughs> and what, I, what I'm learning also, like also with the work of like, you know, decolonizing myself and like all of that is like to chill a little bit more and to remember that, you know, life is that fun game, this big soup where like we, we don't know exactly where it's going to go. And so 
you know, if you're if you're teaching it, of course, you want to learn enough to not be, um, you know, not being dogmatic about it. But like, if it's just for yourself, you can just have fun with it. And there's 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 no big deal about being wrong. There's no big deal about being wrong about your intuition and think you knew something and realizing like after all, it did not unfold this way. And like just yeah, you know, releasing a bit of the pressure and like bringing a lot more, lot more fun. So I think this advice is as, as much for myself that it is for <laughs> anyone who thinks that's a good advice for them at the moment. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, bringing fun, fun and intuit, fun and bringing fun and intuition together into a big cake. I like that. I really do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take away. I'm gonna take that away with me. So. If um, someone wants to connect with you, Claire, if something that you've said has really sparked someone's um, sparked someone's intuition, or you know you, they've gotten that feeling of like, oh yeah, that really resonates. Um, I'd like to talk to Claire a bit more. What's the best way to connect with you? Well, I would say through email is probably the best. So I will give you all of that through email is working or Instagram. Other ways to find me. So yeah. Like I would I would love to hear any thoughts on that or like to hear any fun intuitions that are <laughs> being at place. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. This has been utterly delightful. And I have to say, I've had about 10 different like heart pulls of, of recognition of like, yes, mm. yeah, yeah. Threads that I'm going to pick up with you outside of this conversation. So thank you for your time, for your inspiration um, and for sharing everything you have, but also for being you and being you in this world at this time. So thank you, Claire. This has been the Intuition Conversations. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope it spoke to your heart and inspired you to connect to your own intuition. Check out the show notes for more information on the things discussed in this episode and details of how to connect with our amazing speaker. I would love to hear your feedback and you can find me over at at Koya with Megan on Instagram and on my website, meganfield.com. I would adore it if you would leave a review and please don't forget to hit follow if you want the intuition conversations to automatically be on your phone every week. I can't wait to speak with you on the next episode.